When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to episode 230 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. That's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question to make or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by my guy, KSR's own Zach Gagan. Zach, I appreciate you. Well, you didn't really have a choice. I, I'm telling you that you are going to be doing this show with me, but I appreciate that you are on with me uh, nonetheless. Yes, forced against my will here up in Springfield, Massachusetts. Should we have made the bed first? Is that going to be a bad, a poor look? It, it, it is what it is. They're they going to be grateful that we even... It's a hotel. I, I never make my bed at a hotel. Yeah, it, well, it is what it is. Uh here to celebrate an absolutely unbelievable must-win situation for the Kentucky Wildcats. A victory over anyway. the terrible, terrible, disgusting, no good Tennessee Volunteers. 63-56 down in Knoxville, Zach. We are not, we're not down in Knoxville. We uh, are up here at the Hoopal Classic in Springfield, Massachusetts, seeing some future Wildcats get after it. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but... I uh, can't go a second further before we discuss uh, the, the the reason why our listeners are here. A, a Not beat down, but a much-needed victory down in Knoxville. Yeah, uh, feel-good win all around. Uh, all the post-game shower or water dumps and the Chin Coleman crying on the bench with Tyler Eulis and Lance Ware talking his, uh, you know, talking stuff. His talk, talking, talking his, his talk. stuff uh, the whole time. It was just a great win all around. Uh, Kentucky's offense was... Not that great, but the defense was probably the best they've played all season long. Uh, they completely dominated a Tennessee team that was one of the best rebounders in the country. They stood no chance there. Uh, they hit no threes, essentially. Kentucky made it a point to you know, nip that in the bud and make sure that that wasn't going to be an issue. And Kentucky, I don't, I don't believe, as Stephen can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe there was many UK fans that even made it in. And uh, still, all those, uh, the Kentucky players still found a way to come out at the end there, despite that horrid 8-0 start that honestly made me think that this was going to be a 40-point beatdown. So massive, massive credit to all the players there, uh, Coach Cal and the staff, for somehow pulling out that win. And we'll see if it was the season-changing win, but, you know, 
At this point in time, it sure was. Yeah, it, you know, we're still in wait-and-see mode, and it's fair to be, uh, you know, not ready to just go all in with this team. Cautiously con optimistic. Con considering where things have been, it's totally fair to say, great step in the right direction. We're glad uh, it, it unfolded the way it did, but it's also okay to still be like, all right, well, it's not perfect. You know, still don't have your starting point guard. We'll talk about that and the impact that that made. But uh, all in all, a lot to be excited about, a lot to hang on to. It was a step in the right direction for a change after a Tuesday night in Rupp Arena that I'll remember for a very long time, unfortunately, because it was the most embarrassing loss that I can remember uh, in quite some time. Just unacceptable loss against South Carolina for them to turn it around against a team like Tennessee, uh, ranked number five overall, um, number one by a, a, a long shot uh, uh, in terms of defensive efficiency. I think holding uh, opposing teams to 20% from two, um, easily far and away number one in college basketball. So to get a team like that at, at, at you know, considered a, a national title contender to get them on their home home floor on Chris Lofton night. They have Candace Parker there, uh, Alan Houston there, honoring all of these. these the football these, coach out too. These Tennessee legends and the Tennessee football coach. Yeah. Uh, to do that on their home full, floor, uh, unbelievable win. Very excited for it. Uh, I want to talk about what you kind of mentioned, uh, just kind of the game plan that Kentucky put together because we talked to Bruiser Flint on Friday, and he talked about what the Kentucky game plan was because everybody focuses on the defense and how they only allow, you know, I think four, three teams going into this game had scored at least 60 points on, on the balls, Kentucky being the fourth. Um, you know, that's what they're known for. You just don't score a ton of points against them. And I know that's kind of a, a point of conversation going into it, just how is Kentucky going to score points? And Bruiser Flint was very uh, on, you know, just very honest and was like, that's not our focus right now. Our focus is on making sure that we attack them on the glass and win that rebounding battle uh, while while also holding them uh, from three. That, that in their best performances and, and when they have lost at their best, they have made a ton of threes and have been really efficient from deep. And at their worst, they've missed a ton of threes. So those have been the, the, were the two main points of emphasis going into the game. Score points however you can, focus on the offense, you know, as is, but make sure that you win those two things. Uh, and for all the criticism that they got this week about how these coaches don't game plan and don't scout and all that stuff, it was very refreshing uh, to see the game plan go exactly as planned and and work out as successfully as it did, Zach. Yeah, and the, and the additional part of that is that over a third of Kentucky's points came from the free throw line. Uh, so that's kind of – those are the three things there. You know, they stopped Tennessee from hitting threes. They dominated one of the top five rebounding teams in the entire country. I mean, absolutely dominant. I believe it was 43 to 23. We're looking at the stats yep. here. So almost, nearly doubled them up. And then Kentucky goes 22 of 25 from the free throw line, which was honestly, in my opinion, that's the most impressive part of that entire game was somehow they managed to, to get to the line so many times and be as efficient as they were. And I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of how slow I thought Tennessee was, not necessarily with their pace. I thought their pace was a little bit slow, but – I just thought their players themselves were just slow and didn't have just they couldn't keep up with uh, not even necessarily Kentucky's fastest players like Chris Livingston just had he had a couple of times where he just beat his man off the dribble, got in the middle of the lane and, and went up and, and got some buckets. And obviously, Tennessee's bigs aren't very fast either. So I just don't think that Tennessee, it was just not a good matchup for them when we when I try and look at it right now, like they just they were just too slow against everyone on Kentucky. And, and especially when Kentucky had those two shooters out there, they just couldn't keep up with them. And, and that just created all these extra open lanes and, uh, you know, the ability to get to the free throw line and really attack the rim. And 
get Tennessee out of position more often than not. And I think that what I just talked about there and then what you talked about, those are the, the three or four, I guess, main takeaways from that game is how Kentucky had a game plan and clearly it worked. So speaking of that game plan, uh, they were kind of had to, you know, had to adjust on the fly a little bit with Xavier Wheeler missing with a shoulder injury, uh, something that Kentucky tried to keep under wraps leading up to the game. It was very successful. Uh, everybody was surprised during the pregame warmups when the ESPN showed uh, a uh, an update from him that said Xavier Wheeler questionable with a shoulder injury. Everybody said, where the hell did that come from? Um, he was later declared out, missed the entire game. And with Kaysen dealing with back spasms, and yes, as we saw, he was dealing with back spasms. Let's not get into our tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. Oh, my God. He quit on his team. You know, let, let's stop all that garbage. Um, he clearly was dealing with back spasms, had to come out several times and, and get stretched out, worked out. Had, he was seen uh, back in the tunnel working out with Brady Welsh doing, like, hot yoga or something. It was hilarious. Pushed the camera uh, away, too. That was uh, funny. Uh, but so clearly shorthanded, and, and that was definitely a scary sight and thought going into this game. Uh, but, Zach, it forced Kentucky to change the way it played. And I thought that was a really interesting thing, that uh, it was definitely not ISO heavy, you know, dribble the air out the ball, uh, kind of offense, wait until you get late in the shot clock to get things rolling and initiate the offense. Uh, there was almost like this this sense of, okay, we don't have our primary ball handler. We don't have our uh, initiator and playmaker. We got to do the, this stuff on our own and, and kind of adapt in a different way. And it kind of forced them to initiate earlier and focus more instead of putting the ball on the floor, uh, you know, put a greater emphasis on on ball movement and moving away and setting setting screens, floppy, floppy action, running different sets and, uh, you know, coming off screens and, 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 you know, trying to get these open looks, uh, putting more shooters on the floor, Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick on the floor together. Uh, Honestly, this is the offense that I think Kentucky fans have been asking to see. Uh, and it, it's not that Xavier Wheeler can't run it. And I'm convinced that actually this is more proof that we need to be running like this and let Xavier be the playmaker in this style of play where you get things rolling earlier and the ball movement's better and all that. That's what we've been stressing till we're blue in the face for, the, for months now. But uh, it was a, a breath of fresh air to see the offense, you know, 63 points, 63 points, didn't shoot great but still there, there's something to hang on to in that regard that the offense just seemed to work better than we've seen in the past act yeah i don't think this game was an indictment on Savir because like you said Kentucky still only scored 63 points and really the it just the offense it got a, it was just a little bit better uh in terms of how it was just flowing like you said with the ball movement i thought that was really what changed things but my biggest takeaway from wheeler missing is what it forced kentucky to do more than anything was or it forced cal to play Reeves and Frederick at the same time, which, like you said, that's just what everyone's kind of been asking for. The lineup with uh, those two, Wallace, Jacob, and Oscar. Uh, I believe if uh, Sean Vinsel, that is his name, right? Yep. Uh, he posted something that uh, said that that was they went from 20 possessions with that group to 43 or something, or maybe it was uh, Evan. I uh, can't remember. What's how do you say it? My uh, my Yawa. Everyone, Mayawa. I feel like Mayawa. most people probably something. know who we're talking yeah. about. One of those two noted that that was. That, that group only had 20 possessions all season long and then had another 23 in just the game against Tennessee. And that's what we got to see more than anything. Uh, and that group did produce, I believe, they played, you know, if they played 23 possessions, that's a good chunk of the game together. Um, and obviously it yielded positive results. There was a stretch where uh, when Kentucky, when Cal took that lineup out where they went on scoring droughts, then they came, came back in and off, the offense just kind of resurged again. Um, so I think there was definitely something to that. Um, 
I believe, you know, Tennessee was probably caught a little off guard as well without having Wheeler out there. They probably game planned a little bit for him to be there. So maybe you can chalk up uh, to that as well. Um, but I do think this will, ideally this kind of changes how Kentucky just approaches the rest of the season and how they use Wheeler. Um, Cause I still think you need a guy like him out there because he's very, very important on defense mm-hmm. and, you know, he's going to be the spearhead guy there. He still is, you know, he's, he's been doing a lot better on his catch and shoots. Um, he still provides a lot of really valuable things out there. And even over the last few weeks, he has, he's been a very solid player. He hasn't been bad or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's tough to say, you know, if Kentucky is is better or not without Savio Wheeler, I would say the answer is probably no. But ideally, we get to see more games moving forward where Wheeler is not playing 37, 38 minutes, and maybe he gets cut down to 25. I think that might be more of his sweet spot. Uh, I'm not sure I want to entirely say maybe bring him off the bench, but I think there's definitely moments where you just need Kaysen and those two shooters out there just because the offense is just going to flow a lot better. So if they're ever struggling for points, I think that's the offense you, or the, the group you need to put in. Um, you know, if the defense defense obviously still worked, I, but I, I genuinely believe that a lot of that was just Tennessee. Just obviously they missed a lot of shots, three for one, 21 from three, but they were just slower than Kentucky. And I think that's what it came down to in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's, it's, it's such a tricky situation because you knew as soon as this game unfolded the way it did, that the conspiracy theorists, the, the fans, that would be just a, a huge point of, of emphasis talking about what, uh, you know, whether Savier needed to play and, and how many minutes he needed to play and whether this team was better off without him and those, those type of things. And, it, and it, it creates an unfair situation for him because it wasn't his fault that he got hurt. And yes, they did win without him. And, it, you know, it creates the hot take thing. But I, I do think there's a middle ground with both of it. Like, I don't think the this is why Savier Wheeler doesn't need to be playing at all. I, you know, I don't think that's necessary, and I also don't think the and that's just not going to happen either. Yeah, and there's also on the flip side of, uh, you know, Savier needs to be playing is, you know, he's just just fine. You know, no room for criticism whatsoever. People that are just going to defend him no matter what he does. I don't think that's a realistic thing either. I think there's a happy medium with that where it's it's okay to acknowledge his flaws and say that this this isn't where he's put in a positive situation and, and, and put in positions for success and, and, and to thrive. Uh, but I, while also saying that, you know, he does have his limitations and, and, you know, he would be better off used in various situations. And I think that's exactly what we got to see. I, I hope that Cal saw this game and saw the way the offense ran with everybody kind of working together as a cohesive unit instead of one person initiating things and having everything else go around him. I think that uh, is a pretty fair assessment of how it unfolded and definitely gives Cal something to think about nonetheless. And I think we, we learned a lot more about Antonio Reeves. And I think we need to just, UK needs to find more ways to put the ball in his hands where he can create the offense. Cause I think just him, you know, getting to his spots in the mid range just makes things a lot easier for everyone. Uh, it's just going to open space everywhere across the floor when, even if he's taking those mid range jumpers, you know, from 14, 16, 18 feet, uh, he's just bending the defense enough that, uh, he's not exactly going, you know, a, a stellar passer, but just him having that threat out there is going to open things up for more for guys like Case and, and uh, CJ on the wings there. So I would like, you know, and if you're going to give the ball more to Antonio, it obviously it has to come out of someone else's hand. So I think that's where you start to find that happy medium of maybe taking the ball out of Wheeler's hands a little bit more and then give it to Reeves a little bit more as well. Or I don't think I said that wrong, but you all know what I meant there. So give the ball to, to Reeves a little bit more and let him create because I think that is that was kind of what it came down to for Kentucky Reeves. Uh, I 
don't see what he's uh, had here uh, looking at our stats, but I believe he had, he might've led the team. Jack's pulling it up right now. 18 points. Yeah. Uh, and he only shot four for 10, but he went eight for eight from the free throw line. So uh, he, he finds ways to create offense that uh, Savir Wheeler can't, um, even though they're kind of playing different positions out there, but having him with, find, find ways to create more offense, I think is just, that's a good starting point. And I think, that's definitely something that Kentucky's going to be doing more of moving forward. And you bring up uh, Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick uh, a little bit earlier, but those two, we've been waiting for them to both step up in big games and make shots. And again, the efficiency wasn't necessarily great for either of them. Four of four for 11 uh, for CJ, three of nine from three. And then Antonio is four for 10 uh, from the field and two for six from three. But 10 of CJ's points were in the first half too. But they were timely. Mm -hmm. uh, to start the game, Antonio hits the first big shot to break that long drought. Kentucky goes down eight nothing and uh, really desperate for any type of offense whatsoever. And Antonio was the one to break that a uh, little mini uh, rut, and then you have CJ go for eight straight points on his end, and he finishes with 10 in the first half and then finishes with 13 overall. Uh, very timely shots. Uh, and then Antonio Reeves close out the game, I think, eight, uh, 13 in the second half and eight in the – I think eight of the team's last points or whatever it was, uh, or eight of 10 or something like that. Yeah. But but very, very much came up in the clutch for Kentucky, hit the timely shots, hit the big shots to seal the win. Uh, you needed that. that. That's what we've been waiting for. You need – uh, I really appreciate it, and we talked about this during the game a little bit. I, I love seeing CJ miss shots in transition, but almost have heat check moments where, like, he was jacking up some stuff from 30 feet, you know, 20, 26, 27 feet, uh, maybe not that far, 25, 24 feet, whatever it is. But, but yeah, he was launching with no regard for humanity, just like, all right, I'm, I'm getting my shots up and I'm going to, I'm going to feel good about it. And yes, yeah, some of them weren't very timely and probably could have, you know, didn't have to take that quick of, of shots and transition. But I like that confidence. We, we need to have him have heat check shots because that means that he had been making shots earlier and, and was feeling himself getting a little bit confident. Uh, look, He's a career 47% three-point shooter. Antonio Reeves is a 40% three-point shooter on the career. You cannot let those guys just be relegated to the bench and not utilize what they bring to the table. They, they, they are elite at what they do, and you have to play through the misses. You have to play through some of their miscues uh, and utilize them to the best of their their abil abilities and what they bring to the table. Uh, and that's that's as you know, pure shot makers and, and, and scorers, uh, especially in Antonio's case, as a, as three, a, a three-level scorer. Uh, Kentucky has to figure out ways to get them utilized and to have CJ, especially the kind of cold streak he was before his injury for him to come back with back-to-back -back games. Uh, I think he had 12 in the last game or whatever it was. And then uh, 13, I mean, you're starting to, starting to piece things together for him. And, and that's, uh, man, that, that's so huge down the stretch when you get Savier back, the Wheeler back and you, the team gets back to full strength. Uh, I mean, having those two on either side of you, hopefully we see them on the floor together a little bit more, but uh, that, that's exactly what this team is needing. Yeah, these CJ uh, and Reese likes to take a, uh, some of those transition threes as well. And I kind of expressed my frustration when we were watching the game. I was like, you know, I like the transition threes, but we're getting to the point where they're just none of them are ever falling. But the threat of them does help CJ just being out like the threat of CJ Frederick taking a three, even though he's, you know, he went three for nine from three in that game. That's like 33%, but they're still going to guard him out there like he's a 47% shooter, like you're saying. So if those transition threes really start to fall, I think that's when you're going to start seeing the offense kick in because they shoot probably three or four of those a game, and they maybe make one. So you start having those go in, and things are going to look a lot better. 
uh, a guy that really impressed me, uh, Adu Thiero. He comes in. Uh, Cal has to get a little wonky with his lineups with with uh, with you know Kaysen's injury uh, with the back spasms and, and Savir being out completely. Very limited with ball handlers, and and you kind of had to have a Duke Thero step up. And goodness gracious, I love what he brought to the table. Did, you know, didn't score a bucket, but four points, four of four from the free throw line, uh, a couple fouls, uh, and, and two turnovers. But he had two steals, and he was fighting like hell on defense. And that's exactly what uh, he was supposed to do when he got in here. You know, uh, that's kind of the impact that he was making in the Bahamas earlier on. And it really just brought up the question of why in the world did we not see him against South Carolina when? Uh, you know, that team and just what we saw it on the floor, they weren't fighting. They weren't, you know, diving for loose balls. They weren't, you know, taking gambles in the passing lanes to get steals and hopes of, you know, getting transition opportunities the other direction. Uh, like, it just didn't feel like that heart was out there. And every time we've ever seen a dude zero on the floor, Zach, he has shown heart. Like, yeah, he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to do it at 110 miles an hour. And that's kind of like that kind of the, the basketball shtick and, you know, kind of the, the cliche that if you're going to make mistakes, do it at 110, you know, 10 miles an hour. Like that's and he the, did a couple he, times. And, and, yeah. And, that, and you, but you want to see that because yeah. that energy, that energy and that effort is, is what sparks other stuff in, in the confidence with other guys that, okay, well, if a do is out here making that play, if he's diving for that loose ball or jumping the passing lane to, you know, create just havoc somewhere on the floor, it makes other guys go, okay, well, He's looking good on film right now. He's looking the part of, of somebody that wants to be out here and fight. Am I am I living up to that as well? Can, am I being that guy as well? And I, I thought that, you know, it's kind of a contagious thing. I think that's exactly what he brought to the table uh, yesterday. It wasn't, you know, o- overly pretty in any regard, but I love the way he attacked. I love the way he he drove and, and, and finished at the rim. Uh, he got called for a couple fouls and, and you know, a charge here and there. Like, he, I, it wasn't a perfect performance, but that's exactly – uh, what this team needed at this specific time of the year. Uh, and I'm I'm all for more minutes for a new theorem moving forward. Yeah, he's not a guy that's going to win you a game right now, but he's definitely not going to lose you a game. Uh, he's, he's probably not – I wouldn't say he's good at anything, but he's probably average at everything. Uh, so that, you know, when you can do everything at a decent level, you're going to, you know – help contribute more to a win than you would contribute to a loss. And I think that's what we saw from him yesterday. Uh, I think, what did he have, 13 minutes out there? But, you know, 0 for 3, but he hit four free throws, getting to the line, being aggressive. Um, you know, he's he's not exactly a floor spacer, but he's fast and quick enough that he can get around his guys. And it kind of goes back to what I've been harping on, that uh, I just don't think Tennessee was just – they just didn't have the guys to keep up with some of UK's athletes. And when you've got a guy like do out there who's – like his sole goal is to just out hustle everybody. Uh, it's going to breed success for him. And um, let's see, Adu was minus one in, in his 13 minutes as well. So if you can get that out of a freshman who's not shooting, uh, you know, not really being a factor on offense, that's that's a good start, I think. Yeah. Uh, thought Lance Ware gave some hard minutes as sure well. Um, you know, Getting in the face uh, of what's his name? Uh, uh, Euros. Um, you know, I, I appreciated the effort. I, I really, uh, you know, when you need an enforcer, when it's the physicality, that's what something Bruiser Flint said in the game. He said, look, they have two dudes down low that are as physical and tough, and they're going to, you know, try to beat you up. They're going to pull Oscar down by his jersey, they're which gonna, they did. They're going to throw elbows. They're going to push you to the ground. They're going to, you know, yank and pull and tug. And, I mean, that's – that that's who they are. And, you know, whether you consider that dirty, whether, you know, however you want to describe it, I thought it was a lot of dirty play, Uh, but you have to be able to battle against that. And Lance Ware is the guy to battle against stuff like that. So uh, I, I thought Lance, you know, two points, one for one shooting 
three rebounds, uh, you, you know, didn't do a whole lot. Led the team in high fives. From, you know, and that's kind of half of it. And like, it's not even a joke. Like, he's – especially if you saw the video that Steven posted uh, the other day, or I guess it was uh, last night he posted, it was just – it was Lance Ware leading the charge on the bench, like rah-rahing the guys. Uh, you know, he was, like, sitting there not watching the shots or the free throws kind of at the end there. Like, he's a guy – Here's a guy. He's Lance Ware is a guy. Like, now here's a guy. Now here's Lance Ware is seven minutes is all you need from him because you know in those seven minutes he's going to go out there and he's going to push around their biggest guy out there and that's exactly what he did because like you said those two dudes for Tennessee especially the Euros guy he was I mean there was some I haven't went back and watched the game but I would imagine there's going to be a bunch of calls where I'm like that seems a little ridiculous that it either did get called or didn't get called um, and you know part of that. Well, never mind. You go ahead. Uh, Zach Norton asks, Lance versus Plastic, who you got in a bar fight? Lance. I think so. You know, it's kind of funny. When, you know, we, we're in Hoop Hall right now, so I guess we'll probably talk about that shortly. But yeah. you see, uh, when you watch DJ Wagner out there, who's another Camden boy just like Lance, DJ does the exact same stuff that Lance does in terms of they're always chirping a little bit. You know, if a guy, if an opposing player has the ball in his hand, he's going to poke it out. He's it, Just stuff like that, like, I don't know if that's just what they get taught up there at Camden, but that mentality that they have, like that not back down mentality, I think my favorite part was when the uh, Euros was trying to get in Lance's face a little bit there uh, in the paint, and I believe Lance was saying, you know, what are you going to do? I just looked at him a couple of times and said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the other guy didn't do anything because what are you going to do? I like Lance's, You're not going to fight Lance Ware. I like Lance's like kind of psycho stare where he kind of like eyes you down and like claps in your face. Like I, oh, I, he knows what he's doing. I, I, I think that there's like almost like on, on the fringe of like like that psycho like psycho killer kind of mentality. It's like that Kevin Garnett mentality. Yeah, that kind of like. Where you're like, that guy is legitimately crazy. And he's so gonna kick my and he's probably gonna kick my butt. Like I yeah. think that's that's gonna happen. So yeah, I, I appreciate but I love, we love Lance. Yeah. How about Lance? How we about Lance? That he's, and Lance, honestly, in the he's probably the most genuinely nice guy on the team. Uh, mm-hmm. if we're being if we're being honest, just everyone I think on the team is a nice guy, but when you talk to Lance in postgame press conferences and stuff, like that guy's just super down to earth. So it's kind of funny to see he pretty much has an alter ego when he's out there and he knows how to use it and he like he does it on purpose. Like that is not a bit. Like it's not a bit. He's doing that because he knows that that's how he can help his team. Because obviously he's not, you know, the most talented offensive player right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another player that turned heads, Chris Livingston, uh, finally got to see him play that kind of fourth guard position. I know there's been all the talk about, uh, oh, is he a small ball four? Is he a three? Uh, do we need to have him coming off screens and and you know watching film of Devin Booker like Cal told him to do coming out of high school, which I thought was a huge mistake. Um, you know, we finally got to see him in that role uh, that, that uh, you know, I think maximizes his ability and, 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 you know, maximizes his production. He finishes with six points, two for five shooting, two for two from the line, two clutch free throws at, at that time, four rebounds, uh, one turnover, one block, one steal in 18 minutes. So uh, did a little bit of everything, but I thought they used him a little bit better. Uh, I think that, you know, he was put in better spots and in better positions to succeed. Uh, and I think that's what we need more out of, uh, you know, I, I Still, you know, I thought Jacob Toppin played a, an okay game, especially uh, things outside of scoring. One for five for five points didn't, you know, wasn't super productive in that regard, but still had eight rebounds, five assists. 
Odd uh, assists. Yeah. So for I mean, Jacob Taubin has to be a career high. Yeah. He was, you know, he played pretty well outside of that. But Chris Livingston, uh, I still think is is making a very strong statement about his play and, you know, kind of the impact that he should be making when he's out on the floor. I think that there's a spot for him in, in this rotation. And, um, you know, I think he deserves the minutes. And and it's just about figuring out how he's going to be used and what, what positions are, he's going to be most successful at. And I thought uh, we saw a lot of that where he's, you know, he catches the ball on the perimeter and only two drive, you know, two dribbles to the rim, finish through contact. Like that's when he's at his best, not when he has to initiate for himself or, you know, when he can get downhill with just a couple of dribbles and, and score, uh, you know, at the rim with a full head of steam. Like that's when he's at his best. And I think we got to see quite a bit of that uh, yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have anything else to add to that. Honestly, I think you, you covered it perfectly there. Um, going through uh, some of these questions, John P. Ryan, is it still too early for a player leaving slash staying predictions, Reeves, Frederick, Collins, Livingston. Yeah, I think it is uh, too early. Uh, I know going into the year, it's kind of adjusted a little bit with Antonio Reeves. And I was just talking to, you know, a a national guy yesterday about this, just kind of what the, what the plan is moving forward, because there's still some talk that uh, Kentucky could add, you know, even even more pieces through the transfer portal, or, you know, that it's not just going to be this five-man freshman class for this next season, uh, that they could, you know, kind of loosely planning on adding seven scholarship players. Ooh, that also means that you have to have some pretty significant Someone's turnover. Losing. So what, what what does that mean? What does that entail? Uh, Antonio Reeves, I think, came in initially with a two-year plan. I think he thought he was a little bit ahead of schedule once he went through preseason, you know, camp and all that stuff. So I think he kind of thought maybe he could be a one and done uh, by the end of camp. The season has not gone the way I think everybody was expecting. So maybe that has kind of shifted his opinion back to the two year plan. I don't know. He does have one more year of eligibility and he is one uh, to keep a very close eye on. I'd love to see him have you know, two years of, of stable play, kind of the, that adjustment of getting to Lexington and being playing in the SEC and things like that, uh, you know, kind of use this year as his, you know, kind of placeholder year and ha- and throw him in with the, with the, the other freshmen that Kentucky's bringing in. I, I think that'd be huge. I do think C.J. Frederick will be back. Um, Chris Livingston, I think it's a big question. I, I'm, I'm still not 100% what the plan is for him, you know, how he's going to be used. Uh, to close out the season, what the minutes are going to look like. So I, I think he's a big question mark. And and Damian Collins, I, look, I, it's impossible to I call mean, that situation. That that could go so many different ways. I you know if you just had to to think on it and and just guess, I'd say that he probably wouldn't wouldn't be back. Just you know just because of his circumstances are so different, would it shock me for him to go home and you know play for a, a Baylor or a Texas Tech or something like that, where he can be by his mom, by his little sisters, and that, and that sort of thing. I, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest. But I don't think many people would blame him either if that were the situation. I think we'd all love to see Damian come back because he still has all those intangibles. But his situation is definitely uh, different than most. Yeah, so I, 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 that's definitely wait-and-see mode. Um, let's go through. Are there any other – You know, I guess – before we move on to the recruiting stuff and why we're here and and, uh, and all those things, um, how do you feel about just the trajectory of this team right now? Do you feel like this was a real step in the right direction uh, and that, you know, we could build on this and, and you know, kind of stop taking steps back after having steps forward like we had against this? Or, or are you still in wait and see mode? My whole thing coming into this game, and I talked about it on some other platforms and stuff, was – I just wanted to see something different. I didn't want to see the same game plan roll out there that obviously just hadn't been working against good teams. And, you know, they were forced into making changes because of what happened with Sabir. Uh, But because of that, we saw the changes made. So 
how they incorporate Savir, I think will be important or reincorporate again him will be very important to how uh you know whether or not Cal decides to continue running with guys like Kate or uh, CJ and Antonio at the same time with Kaysen because clearly that is a lineup that just works it's more modernized like you've you're going to have three shooters. It doesn't matter who you have at the four or five because you're going to have those three guys who can make shots. Um, so if things continue to trend in that direction, I certainly think that this can be, you know, the turning point, if you will, of this season. Uh, but I think if we see things kind of revert back to, you know, the stall ball with Xavier Wheeler in the final 10 minutes of games, you know, Kentucky didn't really do a lot of, uh, you know, the deliberate half court, whatever it was, run the, like, uh, mm-hmm. run the, run the clock down. They kind of did, but it was like very, very late in that game. Yeah. Uh, when it, when the, you want Kentucky to do that, like they were up seven with maybe like two or three, two minutes, three minutes left. And that's when that was, is when you grind it out. That's man. when you grind out yeah. a game. Not when you, like I've said it multiple times, not when you're down seven against South Carolina at home with 10 minutes left, you don't try and grind out a game then. So yeah. And like, like Michael Bray said here, Wheeler cannot play 30 minutes a game. I think or 35, like, I think that's that should just be a fact right now. Like Wheeler cannot – he needs to play closer to 20, 25 minutes, I think, is probably a sweet spot for him. Um, use more CJ, uh, more Antonio, Adu in spaces as well. So I'm not uh, entirely ready to say that this – you know, the, the Kentucky's back, but I th- certainly think that there was a lot of different things that they did, like just small little changes uh, to the offense, not necessarily the defense, uh, because I think the defense was, you know, I think they were just more locked in. I think that was kind of what it came down to on that on that end. It wasn't any like you know structural changes. They still put Oscar in pick and rolls, but you know it's a lot easier to defend the pick and roll for Oscar when the guy that he's defending is slower than he is. And I think that's a big part of you know how he was able to not necessarily get played off the floor like he had been in some of the other games. And I think just in terms of team morale, like because that was such a topic of conversation this week. I did want to address that, uh, you know, just what this team is like. Do they like each other? Do they hate each other? Is there, are they there two, like each uh, other, are there two guys on the, on the floor that are two guys on the team that are beefing right now as some of the, you, you know, Twitter people were talking about and all that. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, trying to explain this in the way that, you know, needs to be put out on this platform. I don't think anybody on the team hates each other. I don't think that there's this just built up animosity toward one another where they, you know, just hate each other, but uh, it, it's different when, you know, I, it's, it's okay to say that personalities maybe aren't, you know, Oscar preaching on a Sunday morning and case Wallace, you know, just kind of being his own guy and in his own world, like he, you know, he's a different kind of, you know, kind of kid and, you know, Savvy Wheeler is a little bit different. Like these are just a lot of different personalities that, that doesn't always, you Even know, Jacob's the same, you know? Yeah, it, it just doesn't mean that they all like to go on, you know, 13 people team dinners and, like, you know, go all go to the movies together and go bowling. Like, you know, sometimes they do that and they, they, they are friendly, but that's where a lot of the kind of disconnect came from where it's like, okay, I, it just, you know, the, the heart and, and those, those sorts of things, I think that's where some of those questions came from because it just didn't look like they were very cohesive. I also think that, you know, like the, when Cal keeps talking about mental toughness and the, and the mental health of this team and, and how that is all going, I do think that that's also been a, a very, you know, significant part of this, that uh, this is a very different team in that regard. And there is some, you know, mental health stuff, stuff going on with this team. And, and I think that's a very important thing to keep a, a close eye on when, 
you, you know, you say a, a case in Wallace is a quitter because he left the bench with eight minutes left, you know, left in the first quarter mm-hmm. after eight minutes playing, you know, against South Carolina. And you, you're quick to say, you know, whoever go, you know, go and, and personally attack a kid's character and things like that. I, I just don't think that's fair in the slightest because these kids are going through some stuff and it has been a really, really trying year in that locker room uh, for a, a long list of different reasons. And I think that's something that we kind of all need to take a step back and realize and say, okay, they are something's not right. Clearly, as you can tell that when, when the body language is what it is, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe we should be, you know, thinking that side of things. And and I think some stuff has come to light that has explained a lot of that a lot better. And for them to have this moment, a 63 56 win in Knoxville, an upset rivalry win, when, they have gone through what they have this year and it has been as disappointing and frustrating as, as it has been. I, I think it's huge. I, I think this was a huge, huge, huge win that they had to have. I mean, they, they just, they had to start taking steps in the right direction just for team morale and, and mental health and getting, getting these guys back in the positive mentality that like, Hey, like, yeah, we can be this, like we can still be this team, you know, build that confidence back up. Like it's, it's a huge, huge thing for them to win in the manner that they did uh, you know, the grit and grind, tough physical battle. Like this wasn't just a hot shooting night where you kind of felt a little you know, fluky, like it wasn't anything like that. You just won a hard fought win in Knoxville against the top five team in the country with the number one defense in America. Like that's a huge win. They needed this team. Uh, no matter how the things look, you know, you, you're playing Georgia on Tuesday. I don't know how much you're going to learn from that one, uh, but I do think that there's a lot of stuff to hang on to and hold on to and be excited about moving forward. And I think that's the, the, biggest part of all of this they needed this win for a lot deeper reasons than just just basketball so uh, i am very very happy for them and proud of them for for fighting you know when you when you look at that video of of chin coleman crying on the bench think why you know think think why why would there be that level of emotion not because the team has been struggling and you know they just needed a, a win like yeah. That there's, there's there's stuff there's, there's stuff to that. There's a reason for that, and it's really cool that they were able to do that and have that moment. So when people have been mentioned here in this in the comments talking about the the locker room celebration, it was like the 30 second video I saw. I think like the actual behind the scenes video I saw for the first time maybe a few hours ago. You know where all the guys are there, like cheering on Cal, hugging him, loving him. Like this, it, all the guys in there, they clearly care, and like they all cared together. They all, you know, they. They knew how badly they needed that win. Uh, like you said, it obviously helps with the resume, uh, but they really just needed that win because they just the the trending in the wrong direction is obviously just not going to help things. So, winning cures all, as you, as as you know, we know the saying. So, yep, just got to keep it rolling. Well, now for the reason why we are here uh, up in Springfield, Massachusetts. It's been a, a hell of a, an event, uh, Zach. I, I love this event. It's one of my favorite every year. Uh, four of the five Kentucky signees for the 2023 class are up here. DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw, the two headliners. Justin Edwards is playing tonight, actually. Uh, on here, ESPN? Yeah, on ESPN. Make sure that you're watching. Against Ian Jackson. Yeah, and against that one. We'll definitely talk about Ian Jackson as well. Uh, Reed Shepard played earlier this morning. Uh, Zach, what, what are your some of your takeaways uh, from what you've seen up here at Hoopal. Yeah, so we'll just start uh, with the game last night. We saw a really good matchup between Camden and Centennial. Uh, Centennial's from California. Jared McCain is their their headliner. He's the five-star committed to Duke. I think he's is he's the TikTok guy, right? He's got like a million TikTok Instagram guys. Yep. Yeah, a million followers on Instagram or something like that. Uh, but he's incredibly good. I think he had 27 points. Him and DJ were kind of going at it 
a little chirping as I was talking about earlier. DJ loves to talk, uh, and I love to watch DJ talk because he he's a, one of those few guys that can really back it up. Uh, I believe DJ had 27 points, um, was uh, efficient from the field. I think he was like maybe one for five from three, uh, but the kid just finishes at the rim better than like I was telling Jack yesterday, there's, he's going to be the best finisher at UK since Isaiah Briscoe. Like this kid, I agree. He just doesn't miss layups. It's it's incredible. He's not even that big and strong. Like one of my concerns was maybe he needs to to toughen up a bit to maybe power through these guys when he gets to the college level. I'm not even sure he needs that because he's not even like getting contact. He's just shifting around these guys and snaking or slithering, whatever you know, weird adjective you want to use. He just finds ways to get himself in a position. And sometimes he's out of position when he's shooting the ball, and he'll just flick it up there. Or you know, roll it off the side of the or the side of the backboard, and it'll just find its way in. So he was really impressive. Uh, you know, DJ is what he is. We've seen him so many times. He's just he's an incredible uh, scorer. Like he's just a really good shot maker. He's got a great mid range game. Um, you know, he's going to have to improve that three point shot a little bit. Uh, maybe show a little bit more effort on defense or consistent effort on defense. I, I should, should say. Um, and then Aaron Bradshaw had a solid game. He was 15 points, eight rebounds, had a really big power uh, putback dunk that Jack uh, talked about on Twitter where Cal was trying to coach, but not really because you had Cal, Antigua, Chin Coleman, and World Wide West were all there to watch that game. Family ties. Must have been like a, a three-hour, four-hour turnaround from Knoxville to Springfield. So I'm sure that was a very quick flight that they were trying to get there. But uh, I believe that uh, Camden ended up losing that game by four. Um, Centennial just had more players, uh, just more talent overall is kind of what it came down to. Uh, Camden really just kind of has DJ and Aaron. As good as those guys are, you still need a little bit more. Uh, That was also our first look at Billy Richmond III, who's the new guy that just got an offer from Kentucky. Uh, He's a 2024 kid. He was impressed me with just how big he was. Uh, His his stats weren't that great. I think he had two points, three boards. Kind of did just things all over the uh, floor. Didn't really make a huge impact in one general area, but He's definitely a nice prospect. Uh, like I said, 6'6", he's built already. Really, really big kid. His dad played for Cal at Memphis, so there's connections there. That's the reason he got the offer. Uh, I think Cal probably sees some sort of adu Thierro type path with him. Um, but DJ and Aaron impressed me, as they kind of always do. Um, and then uh, this morning we got to see Reed play. Uh, North Laurel had their first uh, game with a fully healthy roster since – uh, I, built, I talked with Reed's mom after she said it was the first healthy game uh, with every player since December 8th, wow. which is over a month ago. So if you look at, you know, some of North Laurel stats and notice how they're nine and eight on the year, that would be why they've also played six out of state games, uh, mostly against, you know, nationally ranked competition. They played Mount St. Joseph's today, which was led by uh, Illinois commit. He's a four star Amani Hansberry. Um, and they, their team overall just had more guys than North Laurel. Uh, but, Reed struggled, admittedly, to shoot the ball. I think he ended up 5 for 21, 3 for 14 from 3. But he still damn near had a triple-double. He had 13 rebounds, 9 assists. He had a couple of really timely uh, clutch threes that kept his team from uh, you know, getting blown out. And that's something you notice with North Laurel is Reed finds ways for them to not get blown out, even when it looks like they might. Like They were down you know, pretty much 10 the whole game until kind of the very end when Reed, Reed just kind of you know, slowly but surely chips away. Um, but then you've got guys like Ryan Davidson and Gavin Chadwell. We're really going deep into the into the Kentucky uh, talk here, or Bluegrass State talk, if you want. Uh, but those two guys, you know, having them back was huge. So they're gonna they, that team will ultimately be fine as they get their chemistry back. They have no more out of state games, uh, so it's just all straight. You know, there's a lot of South Laurel games, you know, stuff like that where they're gonna get back on track, and that'll be a team that's gonna contend for a title. But 
uh, Reed played in front of uh, Cal, Antigua, and Chin again. Um, you know, he was uh, talking about how he, he loves uh, those guys all coming out and to watching them. And uh, with Jack made sure to ask all those, uh, Reed, DJ, and Aaron kind of about their thoughts of over the Tennessee win. Got some really quick, uh, great quotes from them. Uh, so, so far, so good. I, I, like you said, this is one of my favorite events, too. Uh, it's just really well run, uh, very well organized. And, um, yeah, we get to see Justin Edwards tonight. He plays Ian Jackson, so that'll be a massive uh, matchup. That's a 9 o'clock start. I wouldn't be shocked if it goes a little bit uh, later, maybe around 9.30, just with how many games they have throughout the day. But on ESPN, so so far – I think it's on ESPN 2. It's on ESPN, I think. Is it? Yeah. Well, it just said ESPN on the thing, so it could be ESPN. I'm not sure, but it's on check, one, check your channel, guy. Just one of the family of yeah. networks, but from the world worldwide leader. But the Kentucky commits, you know, outside of Reed, Reed shooting five for twenty one, uh, you know, even he did st- he did tweak his ankle at the end of the first half. By the way, um, his, oh. his, his uh, scoop. Well, yeah, his his parents said, and, and UK also said that as well. So yeah, they, they keep that. In but mind even more. still, even when he shot five for twenty one. North Laurel was better than that team. Uh, and it kind of, you know, I said that earlier that Mount St. Joseph had more talent. They did. North Laurel still outplayed them. They just shot six for 26 from three. Uh, and that's a team that typically shoots, you know, about 40% from three. So they make two on a ton, on a they unbelievable shoot, volume. Coach Nate Valentine there, he loves to get up shots. You shoot a lot of threes with that team, and they've got a lot of really good shooters. So that's part of the chemistry thing, too. That team will ultimately be fine, like I said. Um, but even in a five for 21 game, Reed still does things all over the floor. I believe he had three uh, steals and two blocks as well. Uh, hit some timely free throws. So it's just all over the court with him. And then, like I said, we got Justin Edwards tonight. So we're looking forward to that one. Yeah. Um, ESPN2, University 6 says they, they check the channel guide. So at 9 p.m. Yeah. 9, 9 it's supposed to be 9, but like I said, it might, they've, it'll be the, the eighth game of the day and they've got them in an hour and a half increments. So if there's one overtime game, it's going to screw everything up. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the uh, news of the hour and what, why why everybody came here and, and what, what all the focus is on is Ian Jackson and his commitment coming on Monday. Uh, we put out before this weekend even started that uh, that was the the plan. So originally he was planning on committing on, on January 31st. He decides to push it up uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Um, he wanted to get this decision over with. He just took three official visits, two official visits back to back to UNC and Arkansas, uh, visited Kentucky for Big Blue Madness, but those are the three schools. He's also considering Oregon and LSU, but they're not threats. Um, it's Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, UNC and Kentucky as the main finalists that he's considering. Um, and it's a very, very interesting recruitment. I, I must say, um, this is one that he is, uh, very purposely keeping things things close to vest. Uh, I have talked to people close to all three of the programs that think that they are, are in it and are very invested, and in, they're all saying different things. And it's very fascinating, uh, you know, just kind of seeing from both sides of 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 the aisle, talking to people kind of close to Ian and you know that know his recruitment, but also talking to some of the coaches and you know, that are familiar with it. And um, I, I don't think anybody knows, and I don't think that he's made a final decision. Uh, you know, he commits at halftime at 3 p.m. To, uh, the 3 p.m. game tomorrow uh, on Monday, and and I don't even still think he has finalized his plans. I know that uh, he was planning on calling the staffs of who he it was considering tonight, um, but leading up to the game, they were driving up. Uh, they they left at noon uh, to from New York to get here uh, in Springfield. 
So a, a long drive, Zach, to think about what you want. And I think that he kind of did that on purpose. I think as of like right now, he's in the decision-making process. He plays at nine. And I think he is all in on this. And tonight afterward, I think late tonight is going to be when he sits down and goes, all right, I need to figure out this out. Why, why this school, why that school pros and cons. And I think that's when he's going to finalize something. Uh, so no, I don't think a final decision has been made. Um, I will say um, there is a lot of, positive talk about Kentucky. Um, I, I, I was, there's some reasons why I have been concerned about Arkansas. Um, but I think some people have, have kind of jumped in and said that, that Arkansas isn't feeling confident in their chances. And that would be more so if, if he decides to open things up later down the road or whatever, that that would be the time for Musk to jump back in and, and really kind of put forth the full court effort. I don't think they are going to be done recruiting him no matter what. Um, but I do think that Kentucky's in a very good spot and I would put probably in the, the chances of it right now, Kentucky at one, UNC at two and Arkansas at three. If you're logging a pick in the, in the on three RPM, what would you say? I would, Jack? I would say Kentucky 60%, 60% confidence. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I do think that Kentucky is where he has always wanted to be his entire childhood. Kentucky was his dream school. They have done a really, really good job recruiting him. Um, prioritizing him, making it very clear that he is their number one option in the class. Um, I, I think Kentucky wants him committed sooner rather than later, I think, to make a statement. Um, We're back. Why would they want to push a commitment for a 24 kid right around the time that all this buzz about Texas and Cal leaving and all this stuff? I don't think anything Cal does is is a mistake. Um so I, I think that you should keep a very close eye on it. It's not done. I'm not saying that Kentucky is, you know, a Kentucky is not even overly confident, like about its chances. I think they're understanding that they have a fight and that they're still fighting up until the final buzzer. And um, this, these next 24 hours, it, it has been 24. The, we, are, we are in the midst <laughs> of the 24 hours, but this next day leading up to the game, I think leading up to the commitment, I think it's going to be all hell breaking loose and, and, seeing each of these coaching staff's best shots. So it's going to be very interesting. I think tonight's going to be a big one. He plays against Justin Edwards. Uh, Coach Orlando Antigua will be here for uh, for Kentucky. Coach Cal and Chin had to fly back to Lexington to get back to practice um, with KT Turner. They're all back in Lexington now. But uh, O is here, and he is watching very closely. And we'll see. I think 9 o'clock is going to be a big game. I'm, I know Kentucky fans are very much excited for it, Zach. Um what what do you like about Ian, and what would his commitment mean for this program? Well, what it would mean is it's going to kick the ball rolling for that 24 class, and I'm sure there's probably other kids in the 24 class that are maybe waiting on a guy like Ian Jackson to make his call before they can, you know, really figure out if they, you know, they want to play with a guy like him or or what have you. And uh, it looks someone I know tossed in here the reclass buzz around him. I feel like that's still a no go. Yeah, uh, I don't think he will. But I, I, his grades are good, but I don't think he has the credits to reclassify at this stage, if that makes sense. So I, yeah. I do not think that he will reclass. And can, can, if it's Kentucky, he certainly won't reclass because, you know, unless something happens with Rob or, you know, whatever. Like, again, we've talked about that. It's a great insurance policy to have to, you know, if you kind of get in a desperation situation and you need Ian to reclass and say, look, we need you here immediately, figure out the grades, grad, you know, take summer classes, you know, winter classes, all that stuff. Um, you know, maybe that would be the case, but, uh, as of right now, he is not 
he is not moving forward academically as if he's reclassifying. And I think that's a very important uh, side of things. So I didn't want to cut you off with, with no, that. One, but no, you're good. Uh, it, you know, in terms of talent wise, I think you're, if you want to kind of compare him to maybe a former Kentucky guy, you could look at maybe Shea with just had the, the height and the length that playing in, as the guard position, um, really decisive movements, you know, not necessarily the fastest guy out there, but uh, going to find ways to beat you off the dribble regardless um, he's just a very talented scorer from pretty much all areas of the floor. Uh, he's a he's a game changing type guy who can come out there and just drop 15, 20 points in a college game whenever he wants. Um, he's built right now to play in college. That's why the reclass talk is so big, because he's one of the few guys in that class that you could throw into the 23 group and he'd still you know, find his way to you know battle against all those college kids and whatnot. So. I'm a big fan of Ian Jackson. I think we all are. Uh, I would probably still have him above Trey Johnson if we're, you know, picking between those two. Flory would be number one uh, in Zach's opinion. But Ian Jackson is definitely a stud. And if they can get him, you know, like you said, some of these things, they're not just by accident. You know, with all the Texas buzz with Cal and then picking up this massive win, something to put the cherry on top for this whole week would be to get the best player in the 24 class and start building it from there. Um, so it would definitely be a mass. It would just continue this momentum for Kentucky, which they surely need right now. So if that's the choice, I think uh, everyone's going to be a winner in that group. And, and it's it's just a really important decision because the 24 class is so bad. As Daryl Williams says, 24 class isn't that good respectfully. It's not. It's terrible. It's, it's the worst class that I've seen in the last decade. Um, I am not high on the 23 class overall. I think everybody, if you take the 23 class, and, and put it any other year, I think you start at 10 and go down. I think, you know, even DJ would be number 10 or number nine or number eight or something, you know, in that kind of range in 18 or 19 or what, you know, some, some of the, the very good classes uh, in recent, recent memory. I think he is, you know, I think, you know, Aaron Bradshaw, I think D- Dillingham, I think those are all in this kind of the same mold where they're very good players. And any other year you'd be like, oh, that's a really solid addition to add. Uh, you know, I think DJ, in my opinion, is the best of the bunch. And I think he's going to be a very, he has a very high floor, but definitely not like this John Wall pro ceiling where he's going to be the number one pick. And there, there's not a John Wall or Anthony Davis or Zion Williamson or anything like that in this class. And I think that's, there's, there's no, no generational talent, all just very good players with solid floors and, you know, like me- Edwards, medium ceilings, maybe, you know, I don't even think there's a guy out there that has this, you know, out otherworldly ceiling either. So I, I think that class is what it is. And 24 is even worse. So 25 is good though. We got to watch Cooper flag and Cameron Boozer yesterday. Those kids would be the best. They're they're the two best high school players in the country. They yeah. have to be. It was, I, for my money, I think Cooper Flag is the best player in the world right now. I, uh, I not named Victor Wimbledon. Yeah, better than so, LeBron. Better than Luca. You heard it here first from Jack Pilgrim. From at the high school level, Cooper one hundred percent. He's he's good. Yeah, he's very good. He's, he's very good. But so I, I I mean that to say, Ian is such a crucial get for twenty four because every other player in the class like. It's just such a significant drop off after, you know, the, the core group up top. Uh, Kentucky is very, very high on Boogie Flan. He didn't have a great game today. Uh, his team lost, but they're very high on him. Love what he brings to the table. He compares his game to John Morant. Um, and that's it's the, the who he wants can to he, be. Can yeah. he dunk from from back here? That's all I want to know. No, he, he cannot. Um, but they get some Todd Pettiford scoop. He and that's a, another tough one, because I think. 
Tahad is also very solid, and I, I think that he would fit in very well. He's a six foot De'Aaron six Fox flat, six flat. De'Aaron Fox is six five and had the length and all that stuff. He's a six foot De'Aaron Fox, which De'Aaron already couldn't shoot, and you know has those flaws, and, and it definitely doesn't you know help if you're five inches shorter that you know don't have the length and uh, you know that that sort of thing for him. So uh, you can't strike out with guys like Ian Jackson with the rest of the class is as bad as it is. So uh, it's, it's a very crucial get in that regard. I think if you can lock him up, I think the next step is figuring out, you know, is it either Trey Johnson or, um, or I, I think Boogie Flint, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Um, you know, and if I, I think if they strike out, if they somehow miss on Ian tomorrow, I think that, you know, I think that's when Tahad Pettiford would step in as, as one of their top options. And you, I think there's just a lot of moving pieces that if, if, you know, kind of domino effect, if whatever happens with Ian will, change what they do elsewhere. Trey Johnson is considering the pro route. He was considering Texas and that ain't happening anymore. Um, so it depends on what happens with him. If he decides to go pro, then Kentucky needs to move to his next option, which would be Boogie Fland and, you know, Tahad Pettiford and, you know, maybe like – Not Ace Bailey. Yeah, Ace Bailey randomly commits to Ruggers and – Good luck, buddy. Enjoy yeah, the NIL money, I guess. Don't know about that one. Um Let's go through some of these questions. What's going on with Trey Johnson? Yeah, I, I talked about that. I think pro is probably the favorite for him right now, but I think Kentucky's in a good spot, honestly. Uh, I think that they are – Texas ties. I think that they got a little uncomfortable, admittedly, with Kentucky kind of pushing for a commitment with him. Um, I, I think I, I, I've heard that recently that they were really wanting kind of with the, the, the Ian Jackson thing that we're having right now. I think that they were really pushing for a commitment, wanting to kind of get this 24 class rolling with with a big major thing. I don't think Trey Johnson is is ready to commit yet. I think it is just very early with him. And, you know, it's not like it's, you know, hurt feelings one way or the other. It's just one of those like, hey, I know you guys are wanting him to commit right now. We're not ready for that. Let's just kind of take a step back. And, you know, so I think that's definitely something that's going on right now. Um, and I think Kentucky's still in a very solid spot if, uh, among colleges. It's, I think Texas was the leader. I definitely think that has changed. You know, Baylor's still in the, in the mix, and he would like to stay home. Uh, but there are a lot of deep ties with Kentucky. He's he's very close with Tyrese Maxey and is uh, from the Garland area down there. So uh, definitely another guy to keep a close eye on, but watch out for the pros with him as well. Um, somebody else, uh, Ethan G, asked, well, what about some someone like Dink Pate? Um, I don't see that happening. I don't think there's, right there's going to be a need for him. Um, I just think that they're going to hit on their top targets, and I think – uh, they're in a solid spot with Boogie Flan. I think there's still a lot of work to do uh, to land him, but I do think that he likes Kentucky quite a bit. Um, I, I think they're they're just kind of going. You know, it's 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 tiered right now. They know who their top options are. They want Ian Jackson, Trey Johnson, Flory Badunga, um, and you know Boogie Flan is kind of that right in that that tier, probably the the top tier for them. And the next tier would be you know guys like Dink, guys like Billy Richmond. Uh, you know Billy Richmond. Oh, he's a cap. He's definitely. That's that's gonna happen. But he is, he's a do. J- just in terms of I'm doing the same thing, just the connection. He's gonna. They he, love the Camden. He pipeline. he is going to end up at Kentucky, but for sure, um, in terms of talent, it's definitely in the tier below. But he will absolutely um, be making that happen. Uh, Adam Hicks, does UK add a power forward from the portal in twenty three? I do. I mean, I, I think by numbers, I think that they are kind of they were loosely expecting. Um, more departures, you know, Jacob Toppin, they were expecting to leave and guys like that, but it just depends on how things unfold to close out the year. Uh, but I would not be shocked if they, if they did. 
Um, I think they're going to be interested to see what they do with Aaron Bradshaw. Um, you know, I think there's some talk that they want to maybe utilize him at the four and, ha- you know, kind of have a face-up game. I don't know if it's the smartest decision, but when you have a guy like Ugo coming back, very likely, you know, you got to figure out ways to put him on the floor together. And at least he has the, you know, the, the face-up game for that. Uh, John Pierre what is going on with Flory. Flory has the most com- he, he, he has the most complicated recruitment in, in basketball. Um, Kentucky thinks it still has a shot, um, a, a pretty solid shot actually. Um, Indiana's kind of right in there. Um, it's it's a very deep deep situation. Um, I don't think it's going to take a lot. There's going to be a, a four, five or six more twists and turns in that recruitment before he makes a commitment. And I do think one of those turns will end up having Kentucky as a contender. Uh, it's definitely a, not a, a 0% chance. I think they're still very, very much in the thick of things. So, um, so yeah, I, I would keep an eye on him, but a, a distant eye, I think is probably a good place uh, to put it. BBN recruits only Carter Knox and then university six says, what about Carter Knox as well? Um, I think he's in the next tier down as well with, you know, I think he's above Dink paid, but kind of in that Todd Pettiford, Isaiah that, Elohim. Yeah, Isaiah Elohim mold where I think they like him, don't love him. Um, want to see where things go. It's just they want to get their main guys and kind of go from there. Um, so I would, I, I wouldn't bet on him, but it's definitely one that they're still monitoring. Uh, ben from Kentucky, good question. Would Oscar come back? Um, UK isn't like ruling that out, um, but I don't think it's a good thing I think like it's tough because Oscar is who he is and he is a larger than life figure and he has held this program in so many different ways but I also think in a way his playing style is, has in, in a way hurt Kentucky and how they've had to caps their ceiling. it had they've had to go go through play through him because he did decide to come back so I think when you don't have to play through him and you can kind of play a bit more free brand of basketball Aaron Bradshaw would be will be used completely different than how Oscar is being used, and even Ugo, I think, is going to be used completely different. So, um, I just don't, I, I don't see him coming back. I definitely don't. Um, uh, University yeah, says Connor Riggs says he wouldn't fit well with the incoming class, and I think that's a big part of it. Is first of all, five freshmen will be tough for a guy like Oscar, I think, just to deal with and handle, and uh, especially because all those guys have really different personalities. So, you want to talk about you know locker room stuff? I think that's just something right there that. You know, and then even skill or uh, fit wise, you know, all those all those guys that UK is bringing in, Rob and DJ, they want to run and gun. You know, they want to get into the paint. They want to get up shots as quick as they can. And that's going to be really tough with a guy like Oscar in there who's, you know, you you have to kind of work your offense around him a little bit because he's so good when he gets his hands on the ball, you know, five feet away. Well, UK actually went like seven for 21 on layups or whatever it was against mm-hmm. Tennessee. But, you know, you, you get the gist of what I'm saying. Um University of six, Nas Cunningham is a pro route guy, right? Yeah, uh, definitely not going to be Kentucky. Um, uh, yeah, I think they, he's kind of sunk ever since he was number one. They, they monitor, they they closely monitor him for a while, um, but I think that's one that's going to that's just definitely not going to uh, happen. I don't see that unfolding at all. Another name to keep an eye on for twenty four is Darren Peterson yeah, for a, a reclass guy for twenty five. Um, he has the New Jersey connection with the Scholars and. Um, the loan uh, offer of twenty five currently, because it's twenty five. He's he is he's going to end up in twenty four, and I do think that Kentucky will have a very very realistic shot, and and I think that they're probably the favorite right now. Uh, and I know Kentucky will take him 
when it, he can, if he wants to play now, they would take him because they are in love with it, with his game. He's one of the best players in uh, all of high school basketball right now. You know, twenty five is a very very good class. You know, twenty three is meh, twenty four is bad, and twenty five is elite. So having guys like Darren Peterson reclass up to twenty four will make will beef up that class quite a bit. But definitely keep an eye uh, on him in twenty four and what Kentucky's chances and just kind of. When you when you're thinking big picture about the 24 class, make sure that you kind of loosely in the back of the back of your mind remember that Darren Peterson will be reclassing uh, and joining that one. And I do think Kentucky has a very uh, solid shot with that one. So uh, keep an eye on that. Connor was asking here about COVID years. Uh, COVID years. The only people that don't have the extra COVID year right now are true freshmen and true sophomores. Those are the only people that don't have the extra year right now. So. So I think Damian Collins, uh, Kaysen, and Chris, and Adu would be the only four, I believe, unless I'm forgetting a sophomore, would be yeah. the only four. And Uganda, none of those guys uh, have the extra year. But, you know, in the case of a few of those guys, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, Adu, it could. So he's only got four years. But everyone else, like Jacob, CJ, Case, or, uh, you know, Oscar, all those guys can all have another year, um, even if they are, you know, fifth and sixth year guys. Um, ben from Kentucky, do you think Dillingham can fill it up at UK like Monk or Murray? He'll certainly try. He will try. He will most certainly try. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to be really fascinating. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Uh, I mean, it could go really well. It could also go very poorly. And I would not be shocked if either of those scenarios unfolding. He, he is who he is. His game is what it is. And, um, We'll see how that unfolds. I, I do. Th I think he's developing very well at over time, and I do think UK is happy with how his development is going, and that's a good thing. He needs to, you know, add on some weight and you know figure out who he is as a basketball player. Um, I, will Cal allow him to dance and do kind of the highlight reel level things that he that has made him the so Jordan popular? Clarkson, Jordan Poole type. Don't know. Dancing I, I, I don't. Uh, he has never really done that. Malik Monk was kind of the last guy to have a green light where you could kind of just let, you know, live with some of those decisions that he made. And like I said, there will be nights where there'll be a night where Rob Dillingham drops 30 and just can't miss. And, you know, no one should be shocked when he follows it up the next game with a two for 12 type performance. Like that's just kind of what he is. He's just, he's a shooter. Like he loves to get up shots and he's going to take tough shots like Jamal Murray did. Um, but Murray was a special shot maker and Dillingham's probably not at that caliber level right now, at least, you know, he can obviously still improve. So it, yeah, the Dillingham experiment will definitely be an experiment. Um, uh, OTW music says uh, Peterson and Jackson won't be in the same class at Kentucky. I fully expect Jackson to reclassify. I mean, he's not, if he's going to Kentucky. So uh, a barring uh, again, a barring a roster shakeup that would need him to reclass. I don't think that's how, uh, it's it's going to unfold. I think that's a good question um, from Cody, Cody Hall. Hall. Who's point guard next year, Dillingham or Wagner? Um, I Savir also has an extra year. If we want no. to talk about that, uh, but see, Savir's not going to play with those two. Like you he, can kind of Savir count that will up. not be back. Um, I'm not sure. I would say DJ does. I think it's going to be Rob. Ooh, a battle. I think Rob will be sources say battle. because. Neither of DJ, them are great passers. DJ is better off ball. And it's so interesting. I mean, it, it just depends. It just depends on how they're being used. But Rob 
almost has to be on ball to be successful. He that's just kind of who he is. That's his his identity as a basketball player, and I, I think they're going to share those duties. But I definitely lean point guard for Rob to initiate and let you know DJ kind of be the off ball creator, um, you know, catch and shoot, but also kind of take you off the dribble type. I think they're going to. I do think that they're going to share a lot of of on ball duties. So I don't think it's kind of a moot point. Is it really doesn't make a difference versus touches, but I think it's closer than you think. I, I don't think it, it's, it's just a lock that DJ is going to be the main primary ball handler and everybody else watch out. But I, I do think that Dillingham might be that. And it's interesting dynamic to say uh, Rob Dillingham, the most erratic entertaining player in high school basketball is going to be PG one for Kentucky. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be in a believe it when I see it type thing, just because of, you know, I think Dillingham's probably a better passer than DJ. Um, he's, he's also a more, dangerous passer, risky passer, passer, likes to go for the big play, highlight type play passes, which can get him in trouble a lot. DJ, you know, it's DJ is just going to take it to the rim instead of making the pass. So it'll, it'll, I think like I said, it'll, it'll probably be a game by game thing. You know, what, what's just going to work better for Kentucky. Uh, if Rob Dillingham is having an off night and you know, he's making Cal want to pull his hair out, you're going to see DJ playing the one, I think. And that's, uh, there'll be a lot of times where it's just, you won't even know who's the point guard. Just both of those guys are just going to share the duty. So split. it'll be kind of like a Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel quickly type deal where, you know, quickly was more of the two. If you want to kind of, or in Ashton Higgins as well, where those two guys or those three guys all really split the one. Uh, even if you had quickly kind of being the third guy, he still did a lot of point guard duty. So I think you'll just see a lot of stuff like that. Uh, John P Ryan, Ulyss will be huge for Wagner. Dilly. I completely agree. I think, if there is somebody to reel in Dillingham and say, look, I know what it takes to be an elite point guard under John Calipari. Don't do what you are doing. And, and you know, the mindset that you bring, like there, there's a lot of value to have a dude that like has the un like the biggest green light you could imagine in his own head. Like where he's like, I don't take bad shots. Like everything I take is, is, you know, that, that Antoine Walker mindset. Well, why do you take so many threes? Because there ain't no fours. Like that's that's the mindset that Rob Dillingham has, and there's a lot of value in that. But there, you know, it also comes with at a cost at a time. And, and so, if there's ever been a guy that could potentially reel him in and you know, kind of maybe maximize his potential, I do think it might be a guy like Tyler Ulis. So, a uh, great comment there from John P. Ryan. We're gonna start wrapping this thing up, Connor. Rig said, uh, Dilly, CJ, DJ, Edwards, uh, Bradshaw is his starting five. Obviously, flip DJ and CJ. I think CJ would be the, the three in that regard. But I'd, I like, I like, really do like the idea of um, of Justin Edwards being a small ball four here at Kentucky. Uh, I think he, he, he really is polished working out of that high post, you know, kind of the stuff that we want Jacob Toppin to be right now. I definitely think that's, that's something that he thrives in quite a bit. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, ben from Kentucky. Um, I could see Dillingham score 40 in one game and the next he goes two for 20. Yeah, that will happen. Um, University six, Eulis sitting on the bench while Kaysen Wallace was out uh, bleeding on the court. That brought back a memory. Sure did. I love, love just that connection right there. Um, John Braxton Jr. What about Reed? Yeah, I, I don't think he's starting next year for, for Kentucky, but I think he's going to play. I mean, I, I do think he's going to play. And I've said this before. I just think the style of the brand of basketball that he plays is just very safe and, uh, you know, very team first. And I think that's been frustrating for me seeing him on the 3SSB circuit and some of these all-star events and things like that. You you want to see more out of him. You want him to be the 
MFer that he is and kind of the dog that that he does have in him. We saw it today. Um, and you even when he got, him. I mean, he went five for 21. He went five or 21 and three for 14 from three. That boy was getting his shots up. And he, I mean, he was taking runners with one, you know, he shot one foot <laughs> from three. Like, I mean, he, he takes some, some shots. I just want him. I want him to kind of have that dog with him. He, he fits into systems really well, but at the same time, I want him to be his own system. Like I want people to, work around him as well instead of him fitting to everybody else. So and uh, Reed, that, that's Reed does, sorry to cut you off, but Reed doesn't have to have the ball as well. Like he's not like a DJ uh in um God, what's his name? Rob, the other guy. He's not like them where you have to have, you know, he has to be on the ball the whole time because Reed's does a lot of the other things really, really well. He's a great uh team defender, uh pretty good on ball as well. Like he's not a guy that I, I honestly see coming in and playing a lot of minutes as a freshman. Uh just because from watching him for over the last couple of years, his personality just kind of, he's more of a, I'm going to work my way or wait my way into until he finds a moment where he wants to strike type deal. Um, so I think he's a slow burner. He's yeah, that's a good way to put it. He's going to be a little bit hesitant and that's not going to be a lack of confidence. That's just kind of how he plays. He just likes to feel things out and it'll probably take him a little bit longer than the other guys to just get his flow going. Uh, so I think that's why you might see a year two read is a lot better and maybe a lot more productive and gets more minutes. But uh, I'm not expecting honestly too much from Reed in his first year, um, just because I don't I don't think he's going to get comfortable in his role until the next season. Uh, John P. Ryan is AAU a better indicator for Reed playing with more talent. There, it, it's not even about playing with more talent. It's just his it's mindset. It, it's it's his approach to these games. Uh, where, yeah, I, I do think it's a better indicator of what he's going to be initially. Um, I, I do think he's going to fit into the system really well. I think he's going to make the right reads and he's going to pass, uh, you know, be a lot, a very pass first mindset style of play. Like that's that's who he's going to be for sure. Um, he's going to run off screens too. He can do that stuff. He's going to be a catch and shoot guy, pass first, team team first facilitator. He, he is not going to be a dog, go get my own shot and, and, you know, camp kind of camp style of play mindset. That's not who he's going to, he's not going to be this ISO guy though. He is in North Laurel quite a bit. So uh, in, interested to see, interested to see how it unfolds. Uh, but I do think that he will play uh, very, very soon reads. I heard you say that too. Yeah. Um, any uh, been from Kentucky. I saw that Reed versus Travis Perry game and it blew my mind how we have two dudes in the same, same state that can actually play. Yeah. I'm interested to see what happens with Travis Perry. I don't see him ending up at Kentucky unless uh, you know, they once he grows so, five inches. Yeah. You know, they offered and they do like him a lot, but I just think the fit is going to be better at a Purdue or, you know, even like a, the pace. Ole Miss. I think he'd look really good at Ole Miss. I, I do think he'd fit in well with that pace. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's wrap up with this one. Mark Carver uh, back to this team Tuesday night, Georgia predictions. I love the way we end, end, end this one. Um, it's going to be a late one, 9 p.m. It's our first 9 p.m. Uh, SEC game of the year, and I late. hate hate them. Um, but, yeah, I'm Zach, interested to see your, your thoughts on that one. What do you think happens on Tuesday night? Uh, well, we know that Georgia isn't exactly, you know, one of the upper echelon teams in the SEC this year. They stole Florida's coach, and they're still kind of figuring out their identity, it seems like, at this stage. Um, this is going to be a big test, a tell of if Kentucky has actually, you know, figured things out or not. Yeah. Uh, because coming off a win like against Tennessee, Kentucky should absolutely beat the brakes off Georgia at home. Even if it's a late game, you know, with all how the momentum's going, they should win this game by 15 points. Uh, but, you know, we've been saying that about, you know, they were supposed to be South Carolina by 20 
and lost ended up losing that game. So should have to. Should have been 30. Yeah. So it's that it's gonna be more about Kentucky and less about Georgia. Um, you know, does Kentucky come out and do they does Cal kind of run with the same stuff that he did before uh Savir went out? Or, you know, if and if Savir does come back, how does he reincorporate him and just kind of how do they that's it, it, a game that you could almost kind of toy with those things a little bit more, and maybe that might make the score a little bit closer uh, than you think. But I, I would still predict. Uh, normally, I'm not predict, big on predicting Kentucky to win by ten or more this season. This season because I got burned on it after like the fifth game. So I've kind of been predicting, if not a loss, most of the time, just closer games. But I would say Kentucky wins this game by ten, and if they don't and that's probably the bigger story of this whole week than as opposed to beating not, uh, Tennessee. If they can win by 13, I think it would really be, a, a you know, kind of where you can start thinking, okay, maybe they have turned a corner. Maybe you can start thinking in that way uh, where it's not like, okay, was well, Tennessee just a one-off? Like this is the, 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 a game like this is one that you're supposed to win by 13 in the SEC. Like that's that's probably what, what the, the line will be. That's what you're, it's supposed to be. So uh, I'm I'm rooting for like a 70, 72, 60 win, something like that. Like, 72 to 60 or yeah, 70 to 70, 60? 72 to 60 is kind of my my prediction. I think that's that's what's going to happen and much needed. Very, very much looking forward to that. Um well, do you want to like score prediction or? Yeah, I'll throw a score out there. I'll probably, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go low on the score because I think Kentucky wins, but I don't, they might score 65 points kind of like what they did against Tennessee. And it'll just be kind of a similar type thing where just Georgia's not very good. And yeah. Tennessee obviously didn't have a very good game, regardless of how well Kentucky played on defense. Like Tennessee just missed a bunch of shots and they missed, I mean, Zakai Ziegler, the guy, he, I don't know if he had the yips or something, but he was just missing layups. Like he heard Jacob Toppin ten feet behind him, and that was enough for him to miss. That was unbelievable. I mean, he was like looking, like yeah. waiting for him to pin his shot, and it's like, please, for the love of God, don't block me. It almost, just it almost felt like Tennessee came into that game with more pressure on them than Kentucky did. Kentucky played more freely and more loosely, and Tennessee definitely kind of uh, crunched up a little bit on themselves. So I think Georgia will come in feeling like they have nothing to lose type deal. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia kind of got off to a hot start too, and then Kentucky has to fend them off kind of down the stretch there, and it still ends up being a 10-point win and maybe closer than we ex- uh, would hope for. But I'll say 65 to 53. Love it. Let's uh, go on and get out of here because I need to go see Ian Jackson and Justin Edwards play. Uh, I um, Yeah, let's get out of here. Where can fans find your work? They can find me, as always, at a beautiful website called Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at ZGagan, KSR. Gagan is spelled G E O G H E G A N. As you can see G- right there. Gagan. Yep. There. Zach Gagan. Yep. Zach with a K. Yeah. So, yeah. so a lot of people are really good at spelling Gagan, but Zach is the one that trips them up sometimes. So interesting. You find my work uh, on Twitter at, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Appreciate all of our comments. I mean, goodness gracious, we had hundreds of them. Uh, and here is a nice little conversation with the fans. We went on longer than I think we ever have while doing these live ones. So uh, appreciate everybody's tuning in and listening to our nonsense for uh, a little while. We will have a post Ian Jackson commitment um, episode ready to go. I'm trying to decide if we want to go live for that or have it pre-recorded. Um, not not 100% sure about that one. But, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have one one way or the other. Very much looking forward to that. Um, let's get out of here. We'll see you guys tomorrow. We need to fight for
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.